Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to The Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. This week, we speak to dairy farmer Caroline Walsh about her career in farming, lessons learned and the improvements she has implemented that has led to her being crowned Grass 10 champion. I was in leaving Sarti, our dad broke his foot in January of that year. Before that, I was always heavily involved in the farm at home, but that kind of, uh, I suppose I had to take a more prominent role in uh, giving a hand at home and I was happy out to do it uh, for my leaving cert. They wanted me to go nursing. I didn't want to go nursing. I just had it in my head. I wanted to go to ag college. Uh, Come hell or high water, I wanted to go milking cows. I suppose it was kind of made clear um, that from when I was 18, I suppose when I was doing the leaving search, it was kind of made clear that there probably wouldn't be um, a prominent future for me in the home farm. I had two brothers and they were like, look, sure, you know, like if you want to go your own pat grand job, like so the father said she'd give me plenty of help if I wanted to get going. So I was like, right. So at the time we were to try and get off the ground, um, you were in your quota era. And we kind of looked at different ways of trying to get at it and couldn't find any um, way that you could make enough money to be sustainable at it for the amount of quota that was available at the time. So I done my ag college course, uh, came out of ag college, done the went working with the vets for a while, applied for the 40,000 gallon milk quota, and I was lucky enough to get that. And at the time, my father had a farm lease next door to our home place. And he had just, I suppose, just freshly reseeded with about two years. He was using it for silage ground. And I took on uh, 28 and a half acres there with uh, 40 cows, bought a secondhand parlor, secondhand feeders. There was a tank had already been there. There had been the shell of a parlor there. It didn't cost much to get going and I suppose I was determined before that to get going on my own so it was done out of the savings that I had so it was a good start to have that whatever whatever income you had generated was going to be your own and as far as I was concerned it was a stepping stone to where I was going to go next I didn't know where I was going to go but either way I was uh, happy enough that I had my 40 cows as my dowry and I had my own parlour I had my own name on the milk statement, um, my own herd number with my own name and the blue cards up in the mark, which I never thought that would be a thing that I could possibly do, let alone do it within a couple of years of coming out of college. So I suppose I was very lucky that there were spare cubicles at home. And um, I suppose the TV situation, we were very lucky that the cows were able to be tested, moved them down for B&B and brought them back out again then in February so I didn't have to have housing costs. There was a shed there which could be used for with a concrete yard. Uh, we had two circular feeders there that if there was bad nights the cows could stand in on the concrete and eat the silage. The cows were perfectly happy where it was. It was very free draining soil, um, very easily managed. There was a central passage in it. There was There was no no massive work needed to be done to it um, when we went in there, you know. It's really interesting, Caroline, to hear, you know, you, you started milking in a quota time and 
the idea of of starting a new farm and and milking on lease ground while a lot of people are doing it in the last four or five years, you know, probably you would have been ahead of your time. And also, I guess, um, you know, while it was very unfortunate um, that your dad broke his foot, it, it probably accelerated, um, you know, accelerated your movement towards um, agriculture. And it was a good excuse for you to to get out on the farm more. Um, looking then, Caroline, to um, you made a move and you're now milking in Ballinascarty. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So I suppose uh, I got the quota in July of 2009 and I met uh, my husband Joe in uh, November, December of 2009. I started milking in the spring of 2010 and I suppose... Within a couple of years, it was decided, right, this is just a pit stop. We need to get moving out to Balanascarty because um, my husband, Joe, and his father and his brother are operating a contracting business from the home yard in Balanascarty. So it was a case that there was um, a herd of cows and a couple of children in Balnadi, and there was a husband and a business outside Balanascarty. So the two things couldn't work um, Basically, one wasn't seeing the other and it was like half five in the morning starts to get finished. So Joe could get to go to wherever he needed to go and he might be back until 11 or 12 o'clock. And it was just like it was mayhem for a while. But when you're young and when you're doing what you like doing, it's very easy to say, here, I'll put up with that for a while. So when we moved out to Balanascarty, when the decision was made, like I was very fortunate, really, I suppose, like uh, Joe's parents, you know, they kind of laid out the ground and said, look, there's 50 acres there in the home place. Uh, they were fattening cattle on it. Um, it's yours to work with. Uh, they had been at cows up until 10 years before that, but uh, they didn't really like anything with four legs. They rather the four wheels. And the pit in the parlour had been filled in, the cubicle house that was there. Uh, it had been fattening bulls, but the cubicles, they were, oh, I suppose they were kind of rotten at the ends of them. They all needed to come out. Uh, there was a new parlour. We put in a new parlour and we bought a secondhand uh, 16-unit Delaval. This was the time when um, I suppose you had young forgotten farmers. So myself and Joe both fell into that category where there was there was no grants. There was, you know, the grants weren't worthwhile for what we wanted to go and do. There was 40 percent grant, but it was still going to cost way more to do it that way than to do it out of the cash flow. That I suppose the money that had been generated in the first farm, like everything was kept out of that because we knew the move had to be made. Um, the, we bought the second-hand 16-unit Delaval parlour. We brought the feeders with us from the old unit and bought six more feeders to match up with it from Galway. And eventually, two years later, we replaced dim feeders with new feeders, but the bulk tank was bought second-hand. We put an extension into the cubicle house. Uh, there was 44 cubicles there. We extended the cubicle house by another 44 cubicles. Um, but the only problem, like we went within the buildings that we had, but one of the big problems now, um, well, it's not a big problem, but our our passages are narrower. So what was, you know, what was fine in 
the 70s and the 80s and people weren't into the whole locomotion of cows and, you know, needing so much space for cow and all this. What I'd find is our scraper passages and the feed passage, you know, there's no way that you're going to have uh, two cows, well, three cows, I suppose, passing behind the cows when they're standing at the head feed space. So we really had to work within the walls that we had because the yard, like everything that was there was built for 50 or 60 cows. So gates might have been moved a small bit cubic house was extended but like head feed space wise at the moment we put in uh head locking barriers this year we've head feed space for 57 so if you're getting to a time of the year where you're tight on grass we didn't we put in extra head feed space at the time when we extended the house but we'd probably do it a bit more now but because our numbers won't be going up it won't justify to put in the extra head feed space so everything was done in the constraints of what was here but if you were obviously starting off on a greenfield site you probably have a lot uh, easier setup you know and as you say Caroline you know in the 70s and 80s we weren't you know the the focus wasn't on things like cow flow um so you know it's understandable why that would would rear its head as a challenge now like if if we look at a map um for somebody that's outside of west cork and and, and maybe not necessarily living in uh the people's capital uh, or the people's republic um you know, looking at a map, Ballinascarty and Ballinadee aren't too far away from each other. Um, you know, what would you see as the similarities and differences between the two farms? Like, was it a big change or was it a seamless transition? Oh, it was a massive change. It's like putting, you know, a, a calf out in the spring. You're kind of going like a headless chicken and you're hoping that everything will go right for you. And, you know, you're, you've got a point to prove that, look, now I've got my apron strings cut and I can this is my blank canvas and I can make everything work right and you're in the middle of uh I suppose we at that time we had four children and Louise came along two years after the move so everything was just riding on the crest of a wave shall we say uh there was a big lesson in that in Balnadee I suppose the soil was very free draining gently sloping oh you know, like the sun, there wasn't hardly a day in the year that the sun didn't hit it. You know, it dried out fierce fast. Um, and like you had a major backup, you know, like that there was a passage that was going from my father's farm up to this farm. So like if I had a batter, you know, I was working inside in the vets at the time and I ring dad and say, oh, there's three cows in there for AI. Will you let them out when the AI man's finished? You know, like you're then going out to a yard where like, they, Jesus did help whenever they're there, whenever they can. But like in daylight hours or even nighttime hours from Patrick's Day to the middle of October, you can't be guaranteed that there's going to be help there, like, you know, out here, because if the weather is right, like they're gone. And even if the weather isn't right, they might still be gone because there might be worse weather coming. So when we moved out here, above the land was a big thing. Like the, it, it just needed major minding in comparison to what I was used to. Like you could plow a field here by leaving the cows open it too long. But I suppose when you're young and you're eager to learn and you want to, you know, stand on your own two feet, you'll do the changes. And like, I suppose when I started grass measuring and, you know, with the grass tin group and everything, like I learned a major value in the infrastructure. Like I had a fellow there last week, the, the brother came out and like, we're uh, even now we're putting in more and more gaps like all along the passage 
like as opposed to we have paddock sizes and they all run grand during the summer but when you come to the winter you know that that permanent wire might actually be in your way where you might need a front wire and a back wire and that was never the case in Balnadee that that never it never needed to be done like because it wasn't an issue because the ground nearly it just recovered while you were nearly looking at it it grew grass by looking at it it was freshly reseeded like all these things I didn't know that much about like my father had been at it for 40 years I was in the parlor he'd done the fertilizer and everything else but you were then you had to learn all these things then and it was grand like we put in Oh, we there was ground that had been in maize here that we reseeded and we put in the wrong grass seed. I mean, like we put in grass seed that was, I suppose, for I suppose it was probably better for growing grass for beef cattle, you know, on a longer rotation and for silage and stuff. And it wasn't really suiting cows, and like that was replaced last year. You know, there was this whole new learning curve where you had to learn about the grass seed, uh, the soil fertility, like all these things were either going to make you money or cost you money. So there was a lot had to go into kind of correcting the the pH wasn't too bad, but it was the P's and K's that were kind of lacking or they were overloaded in some paddocks. And we've gone to a system where we soil sample every year and I find it fantastic um there is a soil scientific i used there below on kerry and i send it off in december the results are back fierce fast i ring up the neighbor and he does the uh, lime spreading you know it works like the system works and then you can address the specific paddocks during the year if they'll need the p's and k's you know if you i find if you were doing like every three or four years in probably an intensively great system like everything works we this year we cut back in the fertilizer and everything because now each paddock is growing to the best of its ability because the ph and the p's and the k's and everything are right but that was never a thing that i ever had to worry about in balnady you know and out here then it was just like whoa right i really need to get all this stuff right if we're going to stay you know, viable at like 65 cows, like, you know. And on that, you know, you talk about when when you started farming in Balnascarty, you know, there was, you, you were able to tell from soil sample results, soil fertility wasn't where it should have been. How long did it take, take you to build up to optimum? I'd say four or five years. I mean, like, uh, I'd consider it would be very good now. Like, but you see, I suppose every time you go reseeding then or anything, you're turning soil again. So definitely within 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 two years of doing the sampling and the liming, like the lime, the lime wasn't a big massive problem here. It was I suppose it wasn't mad efficient. It didn't take a massive amount to correct the pH, but it was it was more the the P's and K's and like you were going from ground that had maize that was getting uh, sludge from Carberry and it was, it was just figuring out your fields and knowing, you know, you were going from a farm that you had farmed, I suppose, the 23 or four years of your life. You knew that like the back of your hand and then to try and educate yourself on a new farm, you know. And and the P and K products that you would have used to target um, build up in 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 both of those. Well, I suppose we we kind of targeted like um, potash at the back end of the year would have been a thing that we would have done. Um, we were using an awful lot of eighteen six twelve, 
uh, slurry would be going more specific to hungrier fields, you know, at the start and the end of the year. But now I even see this year, you know, like we're using a way more slurry more efficiently and it makes it makes sense. And if I could probably have done that going back a couple of years ago and realized, OK, in the middle of the grazing season, I can spread slurry. You know, like all that is kind of nearly becoming a new thing. Like we were, we had fast growing grass, you know, anything that was reseeded and you could nearly be down to a 14 day rotation. And next thing the lads are at silage and you're like uh, five or six days after grazing and you're like, Jesus, I can't chance putting slurry out in that, you know, because they'll be going into it too soon again. So when you actually figure out the farm, you nearly, you can time it to what you can and can't do, like, you know. And um, you also mentioned, Caroline, the, say the grass 10 group. At what stage did you start measuring grass? I think um, I think I done some, but there about six or seven years ago, I had 17, uh, 17 grass measures. And last year I had 42. And I think this year, Mark was telling me yesterday that so far I have 43. I'll probably have another three or four, but like, I find like the more the more I walk, the more I can stay in control of the situation. Let's put some figures on it, uh, Caroline. You mentioned 42 grass measurements in 2020. What sort of um, numbers are you seeing? Maybe looking at things like grass growth, uh, number of grazings per paddock, uh, that kind of thing. I suppose um, last year we grew 14 ton and this year we're... Due to grow, I'd say, 13 and a half. And the half ton of a difference came in May, which may may kill us. Like, uh, I suppose we we dried out. We needed rain. Um, it was too cold. It's the time of the year where the lads are away at first cut. It's not easy to manage a problem at that time of the year. Um the amount of grazings that we get for per paddock were on par to do the same as last year. Last year, I think last year we have our, we averaged nine point six, and so far this year we've eight point six. And then looking, Caroline, to pre grazing cover, what are you targeting? So, like you, you know, you got around the farm nine point six times last year. What are you? What are the cows heading into? The funny thing is, um, I actually asked Mark about this during the week uh, because trying to pull out figures off of pasture base and for last year we averaged going into a cover of 1400 and this year we averaged going into a cover of 1385 and the difference being um last year we carried less of a cover coming into the spring i suppose we we went into heavier covers in 2020 in the spring of 2020 we carried more grass through the winter we probably didn't grow as much last year or, you know, we ate into too much of it the year before, but the, the difference is marginal. Like Just to wrap up, Caroline, you know, you mentioned along the way, um, you know, you're the 2020 Grass 10 champion. The figures add up here and, you know, you mentioned Mark look back at the pre-grazing cover um, based on the grass you're growing and the number of grazings per paddock. And, you know, you're, you're hitting that sweet spot of um, 1400 kilos of a pre-grazing herbage mass. But could you give us maybe some of your key learnings from engaging with the Grass 10 competition and whether it's something that you would recommend to any farmer listening in today? Oh, I think I definitely recommend it 100%. Like from having, especially the big thing here is um, 
when we opened our farm to the grass tin, you know, the tr- kind of training group, like what I learned from that is uh, invaluable. Like the even the discussions that can go on in regard to the best grass seed to use or the best grass seed to use for the soil type. Or, you know, if you've got more water log type, you should put this grass seed or fellas over sowing clover. Like there's there's just so much to learn. Like this year we oversaw two paddocks with clover and I'm delighted with them. Like there was a management training to it in that you don't go out with so much nitrogen and you go out with dirty water. And, you know, we reseeded a couple of paddocks and we had the clover and that like everything, everything is evolving. And I'm happy enough in the position that we're in going forward. Uh, in regard to efficiency and sustainability for our farm and we definitely no way would we be there unless I was involved in the whole grass measuring and uh, grass tin discussion groups. And I think that's a great note to finish on Caroline and it's particularly powerful to learn from your peers and as you say you know the the farm type you're dealing with and and the the different land challenges that may exist in particular paddocks the people around you and the farmers around you are in the same situation and you know you can be flexible in your approach whether it's grass seed or oversowing as to what the approach should be and you're learning for people that are doing it like yourself day in day out thank you caroline thank you That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast and my thanks to Caroline Walsh for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify and for more information go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.